What's up, everyone? Dustin Bass here with just a quick little request. If you enjoy our podcast, could you do us a huge favor and leave us a rating and a review? The reason we ask you to do that is because when we get more ratings and reviews, more people are able to find the show. So if you're enjoying the content that we're putting out, we would greatly appreciate if you helped spread the word. So leave us a rating, leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Thanks so much. And let's get on with the show. All right. Surf's up, dude. Dude, I'm in St. Augustine, Florida. Nice. Uh, do they do any surfing actually out in Florida? You know, I don't know. I will find out tomorrow. I drove in and it was dark outside. For some reason, I just like, I don't think that they do. They think they just do a lot of fishing, right? And well... I mean that's possible. Because I, I, I don't think I, there are I, any I, waves out in Florida. If I'm if I'm correct, I may be way off though. I don't know. Because I don't know. Maybe it's just California that I'm thinking is always. You know, that's where the surfing is. Florida, I just don't picture surfing. So, you know, you don't even have a surfboard. Do you know how to surf? No. Okay. But I tell people I do. Awesome. Well, you just told everybody that you don't. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dustin Bass. And I am Alan Joaquin. And I am out in Texas, a little north of Houston, Texas. And our good friend is, like he said, out in St. Augustine, Florida. You just left Pensacola, Florida, right? Yes, that was a very long drive. Yeah, I think so. Uh, That was funny. Uh, Inside joke between us. But um, you actually got connected while there with the guest that we will be talking to that is so crazy Uh, how did that even happen well i was hanging out at a replica of fort george located where fort george actually sat Mm -hmm. and there was this uh gentleman who later introduced himself as brian cooper he was with the pensacola uh pensacola parks department okay he was asking me what I'm doing, and I told him. I said I'm with the Sons of History, and um, was this before him, or after he was like he handcuffed you? Oh well, <laughs> you say handcuffed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I did I did say I wasn't sure if he was going to say something to me like you know, sir, you can't do that. So I was just telling him like we're a nonprofit business, blah blah blah. Although and, we're not. Uh, well, hey, you know what? <laughs> I was under the assumption that we are, but know, right? because we haven't we haven't made a dime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are a nonprofit. We are a nonprofit. <laughs> so, so I started asking him some questions. Real nice gentleman. We started asking him some questions, and he said, "You know, I don't have the answer, but you really need to speak to this one guy." Mm-hmm. And. And that's how we uh, met with uh, with Mr. Wesley Odom. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, he, uh, author he told me. Of, he told me. Well, do you mind? As I know, you're busy like folding your clothes right now and getting ready for for bed. Since we've done this so, conversation late at night, uh, right? And I'm an I'm an hour ahead of you. Yeah, so it's eleven thirty over there. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand how dedicated we are to this show? Do you understand how dedicated we are to this show? Right. We are doing this without making any profit whatsoever. <laughs> We're a nonprofit. We're a nonprofit. <laughs> I love it. 
I love it. Oh my gosh. All right. So we have on the show, uh, Mr. Wesley Odom, uh, who is the author of the longest siege of the American revolution, Pensacola. So we will have him on the show shortly, but before we do, as always, uh, we, we will, uh, do our book and movie recommendations since you're out and about, we aren't able to do our Facebook live. Um, so you, we're going to both recommend the same book. You want to just go ahead and get that out of the way? Yeah, you go ahead and start. Okay. It's The Longest Siege of the American Revolution, Pensacola, by Mr. Wesley Odom. Um, now, you can you can purchase this, uh, the, the first edition, but the second edition, which is one we think that you should purchase, so wait uh, about six weeks, because uh, he said the second edition is supposed to come out October 15th of this year. So we recommend waiting about six weeks, and picking up your copy of The Longest Siege of the American Revolution, Pensacola. And it is truly a fascinating story. Um, so, yeah, that is our book recommendation. Do you want to do your movie recommendation, or do you want me to go? Um, I'll do my movie recommendation, which is going to be The Patriots Extended Edition with Mel Gibson. I love that movie. Yeah. And in fact, I am going to be in South Carolina within the week. And I'm going to walk in the very footsteps of uh, where some of the battles took place. Yeah. Where Mel, where Mel Gibson defeated <laughs> the, the English at Falkirk, at, at uh, York. What was the other one? I don't know. Sterling Bridge. Sterling, Sterling Bridge. Bridge. No, wait, 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 wait. Wrong Mel Gibson movie defeating the British. <laughs> Sterling Bridge. I like it. Sterling Bridge. Wait a minute. Yeah. That's Braveheart. That's when he That's had, uh, he instead of the blood all over his face, he had blue and white all over his face. That's correct. Yeah, he did fight the British in that one. But yeah, no, he this did. one is, yeah, but this one is where he was fighting someone similar to Tarlington. They called him Tavishing, Tavishton or something you like say that. say Tarlington? It's Tarleton. Yeah. What did I say? I think you said Tarlington. I did. I did. Oh, my God. I'm hey, luckily you're not in studio. I'd have slapped you right in the face. Well, you know, I, I was, barely got I was that fl- phrase out. <laughs> I was flying to get here in time so that we could so we can have this interview. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was a long drive, Pensacola to St. Augustine, but it was worth it. I'm yeah. telling you, it was worth it. So. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're going 65 miles per hour. Yeah. Well, I was going the speed limit. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> you so, gotta stick but, with... but I am going to go. I am going to go to where the uh, Battle of Cowpens was fought, mm-hmm. and the Battle of Camden, Charlestown, Charleston, whatever they called it back in yep. those days. It'll be an interesting, interesting little trip. And so, you know, the uh, the Patriot did come out, but they have an extended edition. So I do recommend if you can find it, get it. Yeah, I mean, Mel Gibson is probably the greatest founding father of this nation. So. I, you know, I would have to agree with you on that. You got to. It's hard to disagree <laughs> on that. And speaking of Camden, that's actually the name I want to call my son. If I ever have kids. I want to name my daughter Calpens. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. I was going to make a Calpens reference, but you you saved the day. Beat you to it. As, <laughs> as always, you're beautiful. All right, so my movie recommendation, because you're in Florida... And I'm quite certain you're going to lose your mind, but, um, Tequila Sunrise? Jaws. Oh, Jaws? Yeah. 
that wasn't filmed in, in florida uh, that was, i know <laughs> that's martha's vineyard pal <laughs> exactly but it doesn't matter because i was thinking um like i was like i'm gonna do um i'm gonna do jaws since you're at the beach or you why were at, you, do, you were at the you beach do, why don't you do orca no i've never <laughs> seen that seen movie it? nor do i want to see that it's not that good uh, but i think bo derrick is in there oh that'll work I'll just stick with 10. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll even be better. Um, but seriously, if you've never seen the movie Jaws, like, and now, uh, uh, like, this is a serious statement. If you have never seen Jaws, and I don't care how old you are, if you're like in your 60s and, uh, you know, Jaws came out when, you know, you were a teenager, or if you are a teenager and you've never seen Jaws. This movie is so good. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think my... Now, Alan, as you get as you finish up eating uh, the rest of your ice cream in a uh, paper carton, um, my, one of my favorite scenes, if not my favorite scene in the movie, and let me know where this ranks for you on the movie. When they are um, showing each other... Uh, their scars. And then he starts yes. talking about the USS Indianapolis. I did, you know, I didn't catch that the first time I saw it mm -hmm. when I was in, um, I don't know if I was in middle school or if I was in uh, elementary school. Yeah. I was in elementary school when it came out, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't know what the Indianapolis was. But right. when I became a history buff and then I watched it, yeah, I was like, whoa, you were on the Indianapolis, which mm -hmm. is exactly what uh, Hooper said. Yeah, yeah. That and, was just really eerie. Oh man, that 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 scene is just so good. And he's like, and he's like, like he ain't living, you know. Well, when he goes, I will never, I'll never put on a, uh, a, a life vest uh, life again. Vest. Yeah. yeah. And then later on in the movie, he tosses uh, two of them to to the other guys, but not one for himself. Mm-hmm. When he bites yeah, down on you, it's like he's not yeah. living. Yeah. Doll's eyes, it, black eyes. Yeah, man. You know, here's the thing. Here's what's really interesting. When I am trying to nail a an impersonation, you mm -hmm. keep cutting in. And you're throwing me off. So forget it. Ladies and gentlemen, I tried my best and I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to do I, it. So, I was no. under the impression that you were actually <laughs> talking because that's how you talk sometimes. Oh, right. It's a shame. I do change my voice every once in a while. What? Okay. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you going through like your bag of receipts right now? Can you hear that? Yes, you freak. Anyways, what? ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest on the show. Hopefully, Alan will put his milk carton away his ice cream and his bag of receipts away before this conversation gets started. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm uh, ready. All right. Now, you know, I, I sacrifice so much. I know. I sacrifice so much to be here. All right, go ahead. <laughs> here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So for your listening pleasure, we actually have the author of the longest siege of the American revolution, Pensacola, Wesley Odom on the line. And guess what? Uh, he is going to give us the information that we need about a battle that I would, I, I'm pretty certain is, uh, 
little known to a lot of the American public. So, Mr. Odom, thanks so much for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so Alan, um, as, we had, as we had mentioned earlier, he was very excited to actually get to run across you via somebody else. So it's an absolute uh, pleasure uh, to have you on the line. Um, to get started, tell us about the book, The Longest Siege of the American Revolution, Pensacola. Um, what is it about? Obviously, it's about the battle. But what is it about? And also, how did you come about writing this book? Sure. Uh, a lot of people, th- when they think of the longest siege of the American Revolution, at least I used to think of the siege of Boston. And once you start reading the story about the siege of Boston, you realize it really wasn't a siege. You know, after uh, Lexington and Concord, the British, uh, you know, kind of stayed inside Boston. Uh, they traded back and forth They between the British and the colonials. Uh, It was kind of a, you know, we're not going to harm you and the colonials aren't going to do anything to harm the British. They would want to see if a political solution can be found. Of course, when they saw George Washington put cannons on Dorchester Heights, they realized that that, that the colonists were were serious and the British needed to pretty much leave. Mm -hmm. I mean, even uh, the Battle of Bunker Hill Hill or Breed's Hill wasn't really an attempt to break out of Boston. It was more of a uh, just to let's take care of these rebellious colonists, you know, who seem to be setting up in uh, a military fashion right. one part of the uh, outside of the city. So anyway, when I started to research it and, and I realized that I looked at the other sieges, I looked at Yorktown, I looked at Charleston, looked at Savannah, and I realized that all these sieges were a lot shorter in duration uh, than the battle uh, or the siege of Pensacola. Mm-hmm. And I found that completely fascinating. And here is a siege that, that in, in many ways was a, there were more men involved who fought in the siege of Pensacola that, were, that fought in many of the battles in the Revolutionary War. Uh, and yet no one knows about it. Mm-hmm. So I said, here's a great story to be able to talk about. Some people had done, previous scholars had done research about Bernardo de Galvez. And talked about, okay, he's an interesting military figure because he commanded the troops at the Battle of Pensacola um, and, and throughout the Gulf Coast campaign. But, you know, you know, I really actually said, okay, let's delve into the battle itself. And so uh, it was a very exciting uh, thing to do, and I've learned a lot more. I probably know uh, more about the battle and where it was uh, in Pensacola and how it was fought than uh, most other uh, scholars and, and folks out there, because I've just kind of really kind of jumped into the pool in the deep end and, and gotten really dirty. Yeah. Doing it. So this this battle um, is between Spain and Great Britain, correct? That is correct. Although at the end of the, of the, the siege, the French do come in and, and assist the Spanish. Okay. So it's, it's the longest siege of the American revolution. How is, how does this battle that doesn't include, uh, the Americans, how, how do you tie it into the American revolution? Well, as you know, in 1779, Spain decides to ally with France in the war. And, um, earlier in 1777, George Washington, uh, in, while he was in New York had written a letter to someone saying, you know, I really fear of the success of the revolution. If we cannot get both Spain and France to fight with us, our cause is doomed. And I'm paraphrasing what he what he said. 
but that's basically what he said. And and he knew that he needed both these enemies, uh, who of of traditional enemies of, of Great Britain, to join in the colonial cause. Uh, and he and he knew that because together they both had uh, a larger navy than the British did, and that could put an enormous amount of uh, stress on the British. Um, and so, if you look at the operations that the French had prior to Spanish involvement in 1779, any time, for example, when they landed troops in Rhode Island, for example, they they always were very quick to uh, figure out, okay, well, if the British are coming, we're out of here. And and you know, they never were really committing their forces in in strength. Uh, they were always, you know, going somewhere, moving out uh, really quickly because they were really fearful of a uh, of a, a British. Uh, naval dominance well when the, and even when the the spanish learned that the french had committed to allying with the americans after saratoga they said you know we, are you crazy you know you're going to you're going to lose the fleet meaning the french fleet and you're going to make us you know fight the british alone you know you can't do this and mm-hmm. so they were really in a quandary for a while so um i thought that would be um you know it's really important that that the spanish did go into the into the war in 1779, and by doing that, um, they, the the British had to take some forces from the New York uh, vicinity to go put these forces to reinforce the colonies in the South, um, and that helped a little bit the Americans on in the colonies. But um, anyway, it was uh, it, it was just a thorn in the side of of the colonies, and also there was an inordinate amount of of vital material that went to the colonies. Uh, even in 1776, before um, Galvez even came to the uh, to Louisiana, where he was became governor, uh, they were the, the the primary point to resupply the, for the Americans was via the Mississippi River and up through the Ohio, up in the up in the uh, uh, the Pennsylvania area and whatnot. And they were getting huge amounts of supplies before France was committed to uh, really give a lot of supplies. So, and we learned later that the, the Spanish money was heavily involved. With paying the troops, even in the Battle of Yorktown, Spanish troops had, who had fought in Pensacola went to Havana, picked up some money, and brought it to Yorktown to pay whom? To pay the French troops, but primarily to pay those Americans who had not had any money for a long, long time. Wow. So anyway, it's a very unique combination. It, uh, we you don't hear about Spain's involvement in the revolution very much because it technically did not ally with us mm-hmm. they only allied with france um whereas france allied with us so um but you know it's an interesting story and also the fact you know what two years ago or so bernardo de galvez himself was posthumously um made a u.s citizen by u.s congress there's only eight people ever in u.s history have made been made u.s citizens like lafayette made it winston churchill made it and now bernardo de galvez has made a citizen why because these guys they made an impact in our history. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Alan? Um, I'm going to mention, here's what I want to talk about also. Um, I, uh, I had been visiting uh, several of the forts that, um, that Galvez uh, conquered. Uh, fort, I went to fort where Fort Butte was, uh, Fort New Richmond in Baton Rouge, and then Fort Panier up in Natchez, uh, Mississippi. Followed up, I went to uh, Fort Charlotte in Mobile, Alabama. Now, you had mentioned to me that Galvez really made a name for himself at the Pensacola battle as opposed to the other four. 
I want to know what are your thoughts on that? Um, what is it about the Pensacola battle, Pensacola battle that really brought out his name and, and brought out his fame versus the other uh, the, versus the other battles? Well, the the uh, the other battles, you know, were important, but in Pensacola, it was he had a difficult time. It wasn't easy. That's why it lasted 61 days. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, first of all, when Galvez came to attack Pensacola, he had a Spanish admiral who was in charge of the fleet that said, I don't want to enter Pensacola. I think I can't make the, get the fleet in there safely. And Bernardo de Galvez says, yes, you can. He who has honor will follow me. And he, he, he had a officer deliver a 32 pound cannonball that had been fired from the British fort and landed on an island in front of Pensacola. And, and basically it was embarrassing this admiral, you know, saying, you know, you don't have the cojones to follow me because I'm going to go in Pensacola alone without you. Because Galvez, even though he was a commander of the whole operation, he did not, he could not command naval forces. He only controlled like his own brigantine, his own private uh, ship, which is a very small warship. I think he only had like three pounders or something like that uh, on board. Hmm. Uh, and, um, and then he had like a, a small, uh, to a barge and or two barges, maybe another a smaller vessel. So that was it. So this guy had to get inside the the fort, uh, the in, in the bay, and he's able to do it successfully. And th- there was an interesting story as to how he's able to do it. No, no other historians have really talked about how he's able to. Not they talk about how he did it, but not why he did it. And he actually saw some things that occurred uh, that the British did. It was a very, very, very tragic mistake, and we talk about that in the book. Um, but he gets inside and he proves that he can go in the the uh, the harbor without getting killed, and then to make matters more brava- more bravado, he orders his barge. He gets aboard his barge, goes rows out rows out to the entrance of the bay, and greets the Sp- the Spanish fleet that who subsequently decide to come in after some negotiations, all under a hail of gunfire the whole time. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has cojones. Yeah. Galvez had cojones. Mm-hmm. He really did. And he was able to, and these guys, the British couldn't hit him because he was too far away from the, the uh, uh, from where the, the the readout was, and the readout was too not only too far away, but it was way too high up in the in the and in, in, uh, in the cliffs. Um, but anyway, so you know, here's a, here's a story that begins in early stages. He almost runs out of food in the in the in the course of the campaign mm-hmm. gets a uh, gets a uh, gets resupplied by gratuitously by french and more spaniards and and uh, also almost gets killed in the battle so in in the battle could have gone both it could have gone against the spanish easily could have gone against the spanish at at some points in the battle he was losing like 8 to 1 odds uh, compared to the British. I mean, it just really was not going his way, but he kept on persevering and, and he succeeded, uh, against a very, very stubborn British opponent and even more, st- uh, ferocious Indians who were really devastating on the, against the, uh, the Spanish and, and the French. Now I had read that, uh, the, uh, Spanish Navy, uh, the lead ship was known as the San Ramon and it grounded and uh, Galvez earned the nickname Yo Solo for yes. taking the uh, was it the Gal is it the Galvez Town or the Galvez Town? Galvez Town, yes. His, Galvez his, Town. His brick was the Galvez Town. Okay, and then he just he was like, look, I'm the uh, I'm the Spanish governor, so he commanded the ship, went in uh, by himself, and uh, impressed everybody. 
right. so much so. Now, what, so what is Yo Solo? What is that? Uh, that was an honor I that alone. was given to him. I alone in Spanish. Yeah, I alone. And, and, and the Spanish monarch, Charles III, was very gracious, grateful for what Galvez had done. He won this huge battle. It was one of the last great victories, I think, of the Spanish Empire. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at you know their great victories, this was the last one uh, because it involved seven thousand troops. Um, you know that was a big operation for them, and they were up against you know over two thousand British and 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 uh, allies um, you know forces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a big deal for and these guys had brand new fortifications they were fighting out of the British did. So um, yeah, I alone, no one of the none of the other um, the naval guys, none of the captains wanted to go into the harbor, but Galvez did his math. And he, and he also noted that the British had been offloading their cannons. They had two warships in, inside Pensacola Harbor, and these warships um, had uh, more firepower than, than Galvez's brig did. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't go – he couldn't pull his brig into the harbor and fight it out with these uh, frigate in one case. The frigate had 12-pounders. Galvez had three-pounders. He would have gotten creamed. Okay? He knew he couldn't do that, but he very smartly put a battery of 21-pounders – uh, on sh- on on shore, and and managed to hit one of the British frigates, and you know the and the the, the ball nudged inside the, the hull of the uh, HMS Mentor, and the British captain Captain Deans realized, oh my goodness, um, you know these guys have 21 pounders in position on the mainland, and we've got 12 pounders. They can outrange us. They can outsize us. They'll rip us to shreds. And so the British were offloading their ammo. And Galvez knew this. He knew that they could get in the harbor without any British interdiction, which which the other Spanish uh, Navy guys didn't know. And he saw this, and we know we, we know this happened because the British guy logged it in exactly what was going on, and, and Galvez saw what was going on. So it, you know, a lot of historians are not you know, put those two together: the log of what they were doing, the British, why they were doing it, and things of that nature. So it's, that's one thing unique about the story: is you have to go to a lot of different sources. You have to go to the Spanish sources. Mm-hmm. You have to go to the British sources. You have to go to German sources. They had a, a German mercenary detachment from Waldeck that were fighting with the British. They were really good troops. Um, they had, um, you know, Indians involved in this, a lot of Indian action. And, um, and so, you know, you, you put together different accounts from different people and they're sometimes saying the same thing different times. And you part, start put together a picture of the siege. that really has never been talked about before. So it's a very exciting story, I think. And it gets more and more exciting the, the longer the siege goes, especially when, you know, you have interesting stories that pop up like, you know, Galvez's, uh, money he's going to pay the troops gets Get seized by the British. I mean, you know, that's funny. You know, there was even a, a, a tale when I was growing up in Pensacola that that this money that uh, that was supposedly to pay the, these the sailors that Galvez eventually got it and dug it somewhere, and everyone got killed during the the battle. Uh, and who knew where the treasure was buried? And it's all a bunch of hogwash. It, it didn't exist. But they, the British actually did take his money. You know, they they they, they got it and his wine service and his <laughs> and his uniform, his spare uniform. So the guy was he was upset. He was upset. So anyway, it's just a fascinating account. It really is. Yeah. Now on April the twelfth, he gets hit. How was he hit? Was he shot? Was he with a was shrap? Well, there was no shrapnel. I don't think at the time, but. Uh, what? How was he hurt on April the twelfth? Repeat that. That again. I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. Okay. On April the twelfth, Galvez gets hit. He gets wounded. Um, all the information. I, I 
I have not been able to discover what exactly happened to him. And I know they didn't have shrapnel back in those days. So was he hit by a cannonball? Was he hit by a, a, a round, um, a ball? What, uh, how did he get hurt? He was hit by a musket ball. He was, uh, there were some Spanish um, chasseurs who were in the woods, light infantry, and they saw a major attack um, or advance by the British. They were, they, they put themselves, they launched an attack with over a thousand guys uh, led by their Indians, um, which at the time numbered maybe about 300 or so. So, you know, it was a good number of uh, troops that were formed in three lines. The Indians were in advance and ahead of the, of the main column. Um, and uh, all of a sudden the, the Spaniards who were on this patrol, they're on a patrol duty, patrol duty at the edge of a woods and they realized that these guys were going to wipe out this company. I'm just like a company or two that were at the woods. There's no way they could hold back about, you know, 1300 guys. And so uh, they started to uh, literally run and Galvez heard some musket fire and cannon fire because they were firing howitzers as they would advance occasionally. Um, and Galvez ran up to the front line to find out what's going on and realized, Oh my goodness, this is not looking good. So he told the guys to fight. They didn't want to listen to him. They started to run too. He starts running back himself. He, he forms a position and a defensive position and uh, tries to form the rally the troops. And as the British advance, there's a lot of smoke because as you know, when you fire black powder, you've got lots of smoke everywhere and a unit fires really close range and into his position and ends up taking off one of his fingers and uh, the ball embeds into his abdomen. Hmm. Uh, he's severely wounded. He has to be carried off the field and he relinquishes command on the spot to his second in command, who uh, fortunately has brought up some uh, cannons and is able to fire some grape shot at the British to keep them from uh, really just pushing the, the uh, pushing the, the, uh, the Spanish into their new camp that they're trying to establish on Bayo Chico. Mm -hmm. And that would be uh, Colonel Jose de Espelita? That's correct, yes. Okay, now, did, was uh, uh, de Espelita, did he stay in command for the rest of the campaign, or did, uh, did uh, Galvez uh, command from, you know, from a bed? Uh, what happened there? That's a really good question. Um, you know, there's historians are, I think have, uh, debated this quite a bit, uh, as to what extent Galvez was really involved. Um, in the first, when I first, my first, when I wrote my first book in 2009, I, I think, I know I, I took the opinion that Galvez was more involved, but in the 2020, uh, version, I, I think that he was not as involved as you would think. Um, the reason I say that is because there's some accounts that uh, Miranda wrote, wrote. He was a, a guy who's the only gentleman that I know who's involved in the American Revolution, the Latin American Revolutions, and also the French Revolution. He fought all, all major theaters, very unique individual. But he wrote an account uh, about the Battle of Pensacola that he was involved in. He was an officer, and he really indicates that Galvez was um, not really um, – as he, he was consulted with certain things at certain times, but when he first got wounded, he was really in a bad off situation. He was fighting for his life for an undetermined period of time. And, uh, frankly, the, the officers underneath him were scared beyond belief to make a decision, uh, fearing for their own, um, um, 
fearing to take too much initiative. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. And, and I, I can say I can say that that's manifest. If you look at what happens, especially after the Battle of Pensacola, um, in the in, in uh, you know, if you look, at, for example, there's a guy who was at the Battle of Pensacola who is one of um, the leading generals under Galvez. It was under under Espaleta, um, and he's the one. And I, I I can't think of his name right now. I can't believe is it. Is it the myself but anyway he got approached by um uh, or had the idea after the battle of pensacola he was the officer in charge of havana cuba and uh he, he talks the americans from uh, south carolina navy to come participate him in taking the bahamas well he does it successfully he's a brilliant raid um and galvez didn't know anything about it he didn't ask permission hmm. and when galvez found out about it, he went apoplectic and ruined, uh, I think it's Garone, that was, uh, I think, the, the officer's name, ruined him as an officer, court-martialed him for some petty uh, crime involving, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you call, uh, uh, when he, uh, bringing in confiscated goods uh, into, the, into the colony or something like that. And a lot of, a lot of officers did that. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't thing new mm-hmm. um, the Spanish Empire but anyway you know this even more underscore the fact that Galvez was a very vindictive kind of leader and he really wanted to do it all alone he I mean he was I alone he was a guy who wanted to be the one who took the glory and he wanted to do it his way or the highway and you really see that in the Battle of Pensacola because right after he gets shot the whole um, battle starts to really slow down in a major sort of way. Uh, for a number of reasons, but partly because there is a vacuum at the top and you don't have leaders within the Spanish army who are willing to um, just make it happen. And the French even, I uh, found out, were very angry with Galvez, threatened to leave during the battle because they said, hey, listen, this battle's not going fast enough. We need to, we got other battles to fight. You know, we were nice enough to come here and help you guys. Again, I'm paraphrasing what they said. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're going to be leaving on this such, such a date if you don't do something. And they had wanted so much and, and many times to lead the attacks and whatnot. And uh, Galvez was, or, or was obviously, did not want that to happen, did not want the French to uh, take the lead in this. He wanted to be a Spanish kind of uh, lead with it. And I can understand that, but. Uh, it's kind of ironic toward the end of the battle where a French howitzer shell is the one that actually hits um, Queen Anne's readout. Mm-hmm. What irony. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, by the way, I, I drove by there. I saw the sign that you were, uh, that you were referring to. So uh, I took a picture of it nonetheless. Um, now on, uh, what was it? I think it was on April the 19th. There was a fleet sighted. And the uh, Spanish thought it might be the British. British thought the same thing, and it ended up being a French, and uh, a French and a Spanish fleet. Now there was a field marshal, and I'm going to butcher his name, Juan Manuel de Cagigal. Cagigal. That's the guy I meant to talk about. That's the guy who actually uh, led the Bahamian Bahamian invasion in, in 1780. I forget the exactly 82, maybe 83. I forget. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the one. Okay. Cause uh, I, I, I wanted he's to, the, he's the, he's the, he's the guy who, who really got um, really dealt with very harshly after, 
after the, you know after that incident. Okay. Um, well, my understanding is is that he was a field marshal. Is that correct? Yes. So I, I I would I would have think I would think that he would be in a higher position than uh, Bernardo de Galvez, but was it because Galvez was the governor or? Um... No, Bernardo de Galvez was a major general during the uh, Battle of Pensacola, uh-huh. and Cagigal uh, Cagigal was um, was a one star general. So you got uh, you got a one star general and a two star general. Okay. All right. I thought with a field marshal, that's like a five-star general. No. Okay. Well, see there. I guess. See, this is why I like talking to people like you because <laughs> I, I was uh, under the wrong impression there. Okay, because I wanted to ask you, uh, thinking that this guy is a field marshal, which is equivalent to a four or a five-star general, that uh, th- did he take over? But since uh, Galvez uh, had higher rank, that answers that question. Um, now, one thing I did find interesting, um, are you familiar, are you real familiar with the Battle of Mobile? Yes, I'm familiar with it, yes. Okay, um, now, the British commander, I believe his name was uh, Elias Durnford. That's um, correct. Are you, are you familiar with the correspondence those two gentlemen had, and how uh, lighthearted, and how they were giving each other advice on how to attack? Do you know um, the story behind that one? I I did not know that they were giving each other advice in regards to attack. It's rather interesting. I did not know that. No. Okay. Um, from what I during uh, some of my research, um, I believe that there was some controversy when Durnford burned some homes uh, near the fort, and um, Galvez complained about it. And Durnford turned around and said. Well, you know that there's a much better place that you can attack us from, so therefore this shouldn't really affect you. <laughs> so again, I'm kind of paraphrasing also, but uh, I, I found that kind of interesting that here you have two forces at war with each other, and yet the commanders are being very polite to each other. Right. I think that Durnford would had been released and it was like an emissary, you know, between the two or something like that when they were. Um, doing that kind of exchange. Um, uh, and there was a lot of discussion um, about how to attack and end the siege because, again, the French were complaining. There were all other Spaniards who were complaining. And I also talk about more in my second book that, mm-hmm. that the, the siege should have really ended a lot quicker than it did. And, and, and to prove that point, you have to look at what the French did in the Battle of Yorktown. Uh, would you like me to talk about that briefly? Sure. Yeah. Okay. When the French when the French left uh, Pensacola, they were they had a battalion. It was around six hundred guys, um, and uh, and they went to York. They went to Havana first, uh, refitted, and got a lot of Spanish silver, and then proceeded on to Yorktown. When they got to Yorktown, uh, the the French were were um, George Washington was a was a, a smart enough commander to realize that other people might know more than he did. Okay. And he realized that they were, that this French were really new siege warfare better than he did. And so he, he, he took the advice of the French on how to, um, can, you know, fight the, the uh, Cornwallis at uh, Yorktown, smart guy. And there was one attack that where they took out readouts number nine and 10. And, 
I, I believe to my recollection, um, number nine was the one that was all French forces were supposed to take number nine. And number 10 was a, a, a force that included, it was led by Alexander Hamilton and had a French a French executive officer under him and, and mostly American forces. There might've been a few French, French there, but mostly American. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, in both instances, these guys attack the readout and take it out within around 10 minutes. Okay. Something that, to that effect. Okay. Now maybe one of them, I think the French had a little bit more difficulty uh, than the, than the, uh, the Americans did, but by and large, Within 10 to 15 minutes, they took out these readouts. What's interesting is that these guys were the same French guys who had fought in the Battle of Pensacola. And it's also interesting, the readout they took out, 9 and 10, were almost an exact duplicate copy of what the British built in Pensacola at Queen Anne's readout. Hmm. Same size. Similar armaments. Uh, practice practice makes perfect, I guess. similar. <laughs> You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So here's, right. here's a situation where guys who know, know how to do it are telling the Americans, we can do this. We don't have to sit here mm-hmm. for, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, 61 days and bombard the heck out of them. Right. We can just, we can bombard them and then hit them in the nighttime, get by the phrases and the, and, and, and you storm over the top with bayonets and just do it, you know, the bloody way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they, they also went against Hessians. Now the, what's really interesting in the, Queen Anne's readout, guess who manned the Queen Anne's readout most of the time? Sailors. Now, I don't know about you, but sailors were not known in colonial warfare as your great stalwart fighters in the forts. Mm-hmm. You know, they just weren't known for that. Mm-hmm. And so they were on 12-hour duty. You know, these sailors worked for 12 hours, and then they would put in another group. And these guys were they were coming into the Queen Anne's readout were like um, – there were a few regulars that were still around – uh, pro, uh, men of the uh, um, 60th Regiment uh, were available, and, but a lot of um, uh, Maryland and Pennsylvania loyalists, who again are not the best troops. Yeah. So, what I'm trying to say is here: here you have these same troops who wanted to go against the Queen Anne's Redoubt in Pensacola, but were told, "Don't do it." Okay, and yet Washington allows the French to do what they want to do. And they take out the readout, which is more uh, more solidly, ba- I mean, manned by well-trained British soldiers and Hessians. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. and the French are able to do it in a, basically a record amount of time with only very light casualties. So, well, I, I got I got a question, re- sort of regarding what you were you were saying about uh, the Battle of Pensacola. So, you know, it, you said it lasts uh, nine weeks, and the the Spanish. Win more or less at the at the end. Something happens at, at the end to where they win, and you also said um, they could have won it sooner had they had they done you know had they gone after the the readouts at at, at Queen Anne's um, in the way that you know they were told by by the French. Um, right. What what was it that happened? How, what were why was it that they could have won it earlier, but they 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 didn't? So they extended the siege and then. They almost lost, but they won at the end. What was that? What was it that transpired from almost winning to almost losing to winning? Great question. Um, 
the Spanish adopted a strategy of siege warfare. Mm-hmm. And the siege warfare involved an incessant amount of of uh, bombarding the Queen Anne's Redoubt. That was their primary focus. Galvez realized early on, in the, in the, and once he got inland, that uh, before he got even uh, wounded, that the that he really, in order to take the the, uh, the city, he needed to win the battle. He needed to take the biggest redoubt, which is the one the Queen Anne's Redoubt. And and so he that was his objective. So, but his his choice was to do it by siege. Hmm. And he, if you think about it, he did the same thing in um, in Mobile by siege. Let's let's go ahead and put a hole in the wall, and you know they'll 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 give up and whatnot. All right. So that was his strategy. Let's it was siege, siege, siege. What the British kept on doing is the British kept on ruining his plans. You know, like for example. Uh, May the 4th, when they had this tremendous, great uh, raid against uh, the Spanish who were having lunch and, and roll back the Spanish line, killing I me. Mean, it was just amazing. But And they also had a lot of Indians they relied upon. But at some point, the Indians realized in the battle, the British Indians realized that, hey, the British aren't committing enough resources in order to win this battle. You've really got to commit more to, to beat these Spaniards because there's so many of them. So what I think what happened is, is Galvez got hurt. Okay. Everyone knew he wanted to do a siege strategy, so they left, kept on. They adopted the siege strategy and abandoned the idea of take it in in uh, an aggressive manner. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then um, and then a hurricane hit the very next day. Now, one thing I noticed while I was in Pensacola is that Fort George is in an elevated position. So were there a lot of Spaniards that were, you know, in the lower areas? Uh, I mean, what happened? Uh, what happened when that hurricane hit? And I mean, how did, other than the fact that I heard that the trenches were filled with water, the siege trenches were filled with water. Um, right. What effect did it have on the uh, the battle itself? Well, it just slowed down the battle. I mean, you got to remember, though, although some scholars use the term hurricane, it really uh-huh. wasn't a hurricane because in Florida, you don't have hurricanes until June 1st up to November 30th. That's hurricane okay. season. That, so I noticed that. Started, and I, and this I, battle I was in April. This, this, we're talking April, you know, when okay. the storm happened. It was just a bad okay. storm. There's a lot okay. of rain. All right, because that was one of the things I mentioned in my video. I, uh, when I did my video at Fort George, I mentioned the fact that you know, you had this hurricane, but hurricane season doesn't start till June the 1st. So I uh, wasn't really sure what it was. But but I, I do remember I when I was driving, I did notice that Fort George was in an elevated position. And I also noticed that the Pensacola Bay was much larger than I than I pictured. it. I, I was expecting something a lot smaller. So, um, you know, when the when the Spaniards were landing, uh, is that is it called San Rosa? Is that the. That real thin island that's really far yes. out. Okay, yes. did the British even see them, or what? Uh, because I could barely, if if anything, I couldn't even really see uh, um, uh, San Rosa Island. Got to remember that the British had um, Queen, Fort George, which you saw. Mm-hmm. They had Middle Redoubt, which is north of Fort George, about two hundred and fifty yards or so, and then they had. Uh, Queen Anne's Redoubt, which is about five uh, five hundred yards northwest of the Middle Redoubt, and then they had Royal Navy Redoubt, which is right at the entrance of the bay. Mm-hmm. So the British and the British also had a naval contingent 
uh, in a, I call it a dock facility near the uh, Royal Navy readout. So the British could see the Spanish come uh, when they landed at, at uh, around nine miles from their position. Um, it was only nine miles away. It was where the modern-day beach ball water tower is in Pensacola Beach. It's a beautiful water tower. It's just Pensacola Beach. It's kind of like the, the beach ball water tower, they call it. So that's where they landed. The, and, and British and the, the British um, undoubtedly saw them. They landed actually in the, in the nighttime, but they, they, they saw them approaching because only nine miles away. You can see that the, uh, in the, in the, it was a clear, day, clear night. I don't remember if it was moonlight or not. I'd have to look at the log or the mentor. But um, anyway, they saw them coming. So they, and they were all constantly sending messages from the Royal Navy readout to back in Pensacola, which is about seven miles away. Okay. Now, Fort George. Uh, was that always the main fort or because I know that uh, when when Mobile, Alabama, Fort Charlotte was under siege, um, uh, they, they sent uh, they sent soldiers from Pensacola to relieve the uh, the siege. Now, did they come out of Fort George? Fort George was uh, was a five acre fort. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was surrounded by an uh it was a stockade, but in, in the innermost bastion section was a brick uh, bastion okay. uh, with casement walls and things like that. And where the guys actually slept underneath the casements, okay, which are like um, kind of like the, you know, the, the cannons would have been on top of the, uh, the fort, so to speak. And the casements would have been like a hollowed out section underneath the, the wooden deck above them. Does that make sense? And then the yes. outer wall obviously would have been brick uh, from this bastion. But these guys actually only were in 12-hour um, uh, duty stations. So in other words, they were on duty for 12 hours, and then their camp was literally about um, 200 yards away, uh, just down the hill. As you, you earlier said, at Pensacola, Fort George is on the hill, and it is. It's on the, the bottom, uh, or not, the bottom of a boot-shaped hill. So the, it's at the bottom of the boot, and a little bit further on the boot is, is uh, you know, the middle readout, and further up on the boot, a little bit higher elevation was the uh, Queen Anne's readout, you know, you have, again, you have Fort George, which is a five acre fort. Then you have a small fort, which is about uh, 5,400 square feet. That's middle readout or also known as Prince of Wales. And then you have a, a larger uh, readout around 12,000 square feet. And that's Queen Anne's readout, uh, you know, you know, that, with me, you know, in the direction of the boot shape hill. Mm-hmm. So right. they wanted to dominate this hill because they realized that, if they controlled the hill, there were it went down, and then all of a sudden the hill started to go up again. Galvez was wanted to approach from the west, which he did, and he he went into position and put his siege lines on these other hills, and eventually got a water uh, near a water supply, um, so he could start the bombardment and still have water supply on his men and whatnot, for his men to be able to you know continue the siege. Mm-hmm. So a uh, French howitzer shell. Lands in a powder magazine, May the 8th, blows up, kills over 50 uh, redcoats. Right. And then uh, they surrender two days later. I was yeah. curious. Well, uh, go ahead. Now, if you, um, what are you, what, uh, if you want to add something to it, because I wanted to ask you a follow up question on this, on the surrender terms. Um, in terms of, I, my understanding is, is that, the surrender terms meant that all of British West Florida now became 
uh, Spanish possession. But why was nothing ever done with British East Florida? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, the goal of the campaign was never to go against East Florida. Um, You know, it was very clear once uh, Galvez received his orders from uh, Madrid that, you know, it would be a Gulf Coast campaign and that's it. Um, You know, East Florida was not very valuable. There was there was uh, Castillo de San Marcos there. But that's it. I mean, it was a sleepy town. The, you know, the, the bay that St. Augustine had was was nothing compared to Pensacola. Uh, Pensacola is a very deep water bay. It was it's one of the best natural harbors in the, the New World. It's huge, as you've already mentioned. Um, the Mississippi River was vital to what Spain considered to its future. Um, and they already controlled New Orleans. So, you know, it was that was their focus. They're, they then wanted to turn their focus on to taking over Jamaica because that was valuable real estate for them. They wanted to get uh, increase their um, economy. Uh, and by owning Jamaica, uh, that would be retaking a, a very lucrative colony. Um, so it was a lot more lucrative than wasting it on a on a, a stone forward. I mean, Castillo de San Marco was was probably would have been a lot more difficult to take than uh, Fort Charlotte. I mean, look at Fort Charlotte. It was, it was in ruin. Uh, the, the British commander, uh, John Campbell, um, as soon as he came to Pensacola, he took a tour of the conditions of the, of the, the of, of mobile and realized it was in a wretched condition that uh, they couldn't afford to, um, to, to repair. And so he, he, he didn't even want to re- defend it, but he kind of had to. But it was just dilapidated. That wasn't the case in in, uh, in Castillo de San Marcos. You know that, that stone that can, was it coquina shell, I believe. It's incredible. Now I know that what was it Arturo O'Neill, and he led the uh, Hiber, Hibernia, the Irish contingent. Hibernia, yes. Well, when Galvez left Pensacola, um, you know he he nominated O'Neill to take over in his stead because he had to tie up loose ends in Havana. He had to prepare for the next invasion, invasion, which is going to be Jamaica. Um, so, um, you know, he was still nominally the governor. Mm -hmm. He just, he just delegated, uh, O'Neill to take over. That's all he did. Okay. Now, after the revolutionary war is over, uh, American, People started sneaking into uh, the Floridas. Spain uh, received uh, both East and West Florida at the Treaty of Paris. So Americans start sneaking in. And I know that we took over everything. I believe it was in 1819. Uh, Dustin, what's the name of that treaty? The The Adams-Onus. Adams-Onus Treaty. And Florida becomes uh, American. Right. Well, we, we... Kind of, we we marched in in 1819 because the Spanish were paying five dollars for a scalp, an American scalp, and wow. Andrew Jackson didn't like that too much. Uh, he had uh, permission to go into the territory, and he he left um, he, once he took over Pensacola. He he uh, and he, he had already been there in 1814, uh, but he he was back in 1819. But in 1819, he he 
put U.S. troops to man the Spanish forts. He said, you know, basically he says, you guys can't effectively govern, so I'm going to leave these U.S. troops here to govern. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you Spanish troops just got to go. And so he shipped them out, out to Havana, I believe. Um, so in essence, it was kind of like pseudo in charge, but it technically wasn't. And in 18, he pulled at some point, I, I don't know how, the, when the troops got pulled out of Pensacola after that, but he returns to Pensacola in 1821 to physically sign a treaty uh, with the Spanish to formally take control of, um, of the, uh, of the town. And, and the Spanish happened to bring in a special, um, unit, uh, to surrender, just for Gallup, just to just to send, surrender with Andrew Jackson, and concurrently there was another uh, body of troops that were in St. Augustine that were doing it like a few hours earlier or maybe a day earlier or something like that. Where Andrew Jackson was the 17th of July, 1821, I think, in St. Augustine it was maybe July 16th, something like that. Okay. Now, um, I, I, I got a, this, I got a this, question. I got a question real quick. Okay. You said that the Spanish were paying five dollars a scalp. Were they paying the Indians to kill Americans, or, or what was yes. going on there? Yes, they were paying the Indians. And they were why? paying Indians to kill Americans, right? And was that because in uh, Americans were coming into Florida without permission? Yes, and and they were uh, they were they were excited about the Red Stick uprising that was, you know, going on, they had, uh, the governor of, uh, Pensacola, I think his name was Mateo at the time, uh, had just miscalculated completely the strategy, uh, that he should be, uh, pushing. And he believes that, you know, that the red sticks actually had a chance and, hmm. um, by encouraging, you know, atrocities against Americans, it would, he would somehow, it would help turn the tide against the Americans. And it was just a stupid mistake on his part. And the word got out and, you know, the Americans weren't going to have anything of it. I guess he had not heard about Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you said, you said that uh, Spain went in as France's ally, not as our ally. And I, I, I sat and thought about the fact that when uh, Galvez captured all those areas, I was, I'm, I was always wondering you know when you know how Galvez captured uh, the the Mississippi forts and then Florida, and then they became Spanish possessions. And I couldn't help but wonder if uh, men like Washington sat there and th- and thought, well, the good news is they defeated the English. The bad news is they've now taken over. Was that? Uh, is there anything that we know of on that? Well, we do know that uh, that. There was correspondence between Bernardi de Galvez and uh, and the Continental Congress. Um, I'm not sure if there was direct correspondence between Washington and Galvez. I kind of think there might have been maybe one or two letters. I'm not real sure. I can't recall at this time. But I know there was correspondence between the two. And as a matter of fact, Galvez had suggested originally when he was the governor of of, uh, of Louisiana that the Americans go ahead and attack Pensacola. I mean, he suggested it to hmm. them because he said, hey, it's lightly armed. There's only a few few troops down here. And uh, the Continental Army or Continental Congress um, had a committee uh, that debated this. Uh, should we send troops? And they ended up deciding to send um, only a, uh, a guy named John Willing, I believe his name is John Willing, um, and he was a gentleman who was from Natchez or actually had lived in Natchez, Mississippi for a while. 
was back in the, the maybe Philadelphia area or something like that. Uh, and he convinced someone that he could get a bunch of guys and he knew the area and he could go take the outpost on the Mississippi. And so the, the Continental uh, Congress guys said, okay, we don't have enough troops. So we're going to send a huge expedition as Galvez recommends to go take Pensacola. Although it might be successful, we just too much of a gamble. We're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to send this puny expedition led by Willing, and it's going to go down the Ohio River and uh, go down the Mississippi and uh, you know be a commerce raiding kind of thing. Well, it was wildly successful. Willing went over overboard. He attracted uh, his initial group, I think, was for like 12 people from a Virginia uh, unit or maybe 30-some-odd people from a Virginia company or something like that. And it grew to like over 100. And most of these guys were not fighting for patriotism. They were fighting because they wanted to rob their neighbor, you know, down the river. And it was just a booty, booty, a booty call, really. You know, let's go raid this raid and pillage. Crazy, very embarrassing. And, you know, he gets to New Orleans, Willing does, and he tries to act like the big guy and wants to sell all his booty and everything. And Galvez is kind of in a situation where we're not at war, and this guy is really kind of bright, uh, really piss off a lot of people, and people know about it. And he kind of like want, wants to defuse the situation and kind of told uh, Willing, you know, no, I'm not going to let you do these things. So um, it was it was a tense situation for Galvez. He he didn't he didn't receive this guy as openly as you would think. And uh, but the, but the fact of the matter is, Galvez was communicating. Back to your original question, he was communicating with Continental Congress, encouraging them to attack. They didn't do it. They didn't have the mm. resources, or didn't want to put the resources down to do it. And they could have done it. Yeah. So was the were they upset afterwards? They probably thought about, yeah, it would have been nice to do it. But they, I believe that um, the Americans uh, after the war had enough problems trying to deal with the thirteen colonies. Right. And Florida at that time wasn't. Um, uh, huge in the uh, trade factor, um, and air conditioning hadn't been invented, so it wasn't that important. There you mm. go. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, D- Dustin, I got uh, no more questions I, I got, from you, I suppose. No, right, no, I got your, your journey has come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Odom, um, to f- to finish off our conversation, and it has been enlightening for certain. Uh, I'm just I'm, I'm happy to to learn about uh, what was going on in Pensacola during this time, uh, but between the British, Spanish, and and French, uh, it's very interesting. So, you have written a book, your second edition. You said it's coming out this fall, correct? That's correct. It oh, is. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, it's called "The Longest Siege of the American Revolution: Pensacola." The second edition is coming out this fall. Uh, Mr. Odom, what can people expect to have changed or updated uh, from the first edition? Well, obviously, the, uh, the outcome of the battle is, is still the same. The Spanish won. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay right. That's, that's good about saying, right? Ha ha. No alternate endings. Uh, but, okay. <laughs> now, we don't do revisionist history here in my, my, in my world. Hey, we're not big um, fans of I that think, either. See, so <laughs> I, I wanted to hear that an American contingent came in there and won the day. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh. Well, you know, there's, there's, there are those guys who, who do uh, trace their ancestry to the um, guys from Louisiana who fought in the, the uh, New Orleans militia for Bernard de Galvez. And they, they, um, Obviously, when Louisiana becomes a state later on in the history, uh, these guys are are uh, saying, well, hey, my ancestor fought with Bernard de Galvez for the American Revolution. Therefore, I ought to be in the SAR and the DAR and all that kind of stuff. So 
So oh. are the Americans doing it? Yes. It's just that, uh, you know, part of the problem I think that historians might have in, in looking at Spanish involvement is there were no cases where the infantrymen, the Spanish infantrymen, were in the trenches with an American infantryman. That just didn't happen. All right. Mm-hmm. Not not to say that they were wearing an American patch on their uniform, so to speak. You with me? I mean, yeah, you had Louisianans who were later became Americans fighting with the Spanish. You didn't have, you know, like George Washington sending, sending squads over to, to help the Spanish in Battle of Pensacola or any of the other engagements. Yeah. Instead, the only operation in which Americans are fighting with the Spanish is in the taking of the Bahamas, okay, where the South Carolina Navy participates with the Spanish in that, that battle. Very interesting battle. Um, so what, to answer your question, what do we have in the new edition that makes it really interesting? Well, one is uh, we have a good picture of um, uh, the British general, which is really good. We have more information about his background that we didn't have in the first uh, edition about his uh, why he was selected, uh, because he did have a really good uh, uh, exam- uh, history of uh, picking up the bootstraps and actually charging ahead and really innovative command uh, uh, situation. Um, also, there's more information about his personal um, uh, beliefs about uh, and correspondence about how he didn't get along with the people in Pensacola, how he really hated Pensacola, talking about the British commander, and um, how he um, really kind of just wrestled with the whole, the whole battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it's important because we have other some new maps uh, we have a, uh, a information about the British relief effort that no one's really talked about before. And I found it. Um, they actually, you know, the British, as soon as the, the battle started to unfold and they realized the siege was going to be taking, uh, taking place, that they wouldn't be able to get in and out of Pensacola. Because the only way to get to Pensacola back then was via, via sea. You couldn't get there. There was no roads to Pensacola. It was all wilderness. So they sent a, a ship from Pensacola to go to Kingston, Jamaica. And the, in Jamaica, they actually sent a relief force to Pensacola. They actually run across, and we talk about this battle. It was a naval battle. They fought, and they just, they defeated a French warship, uh, the Unicorn. Um, and uh, it was really interesting how that occurred. And they were able to um, – uh, anyway, by the time, though, that these, these British forces get to Pensacola, uh, the – the uh, they realize that the um, the Sp- the French or the Spanish are already there, so they see a lot more ships in the harbor than they ever thought about, and the the American the British forces just turn around, and that's really interesting. Would these British forces have made a difference in the battle? No, they were they were the low, low, loyal American Rangers, which were captured rebels, okay, captured Continental Congress guys, okay, all right. Continentals, who had, who had been captured up north, had been sent to Jamaica and told, "Hey, we'll if you you either two two choices, you can either rot out in the war in a Boston uh, prison ship, okay, or you can go down to the Caribbean and fight for us against either the French or the Spanish. You know, at that time it was the French, hmm. so you can fight against the French, wow. uh, but we won't fight against the uh, Americans. We'll, we'll promise you that." Uh, but we will, you know, that's, that's a choice. Well, what would you do? Yeah. I, I just want to go down there. Wouldn't you want to go to the Caribbean? Yeah, exactly. absolutely. So there, there were loyal American Rangers. They had about what, 300 guys. They had, uh, you know, 
you know, they weren't they weren't the most reliable troops, you know. Mm-hmm. And with these 300 guys have, have done it, uh, had augmented the British force from, what, 2,000, maybe 300 guys. Now they have 2,600 had they been able to effectively land. Would that have changed the outcome of the battle? I doubt it because he had eventually 7,000 guys going against uh, – against the British and the British were losing their Indians right and left in the sense that they, the guys were running off saying, I'm out of here. No, I don't, you know, so, you know, that's interesting about the battle. It's also fascinating about the, the Yorktown information, uh, drawing the importance of the French in the battle. I also pull in some, uh, make it a lot more clear how the, uh, the battle transgressed once Galvez was wounded what a stalemate the, the Spanish were in. And there was one attempt where they wanted to launch a nighttime attack, kind of like what the French did in the Battle of Yorktown. We talk, I talk about that in length, and I explained to them that, you know, even then, the, the, the ch- Spanish chicken out um, over some really stupid decision uh, uh, in, in by, by chickening out. I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's just crazy. You have like a 1,000 guys in the bushes ready to go, and they had 100 guys in the readout. And they said, well, you know, it's going to get morning really soon. I think we might just want to call this one. I mean, come on, guys. Ten to one odds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Against a bunch of sailors. Yeah, I'll pass. I think you could do it. <laughs> so Beautiful. I think that the Spanish, and I think it would be interesting. I'd love to, I don't think I'd, I have this uh, hard to do it, probably that maybe they don't have qualifications to do it. But, um, you know, to analyze the the training of the different armed forces back then if you look at the spanish training the french training and the british training to see what kind of training these guys went through and what how effective they are mm-hmm. and the way they prosecuted wars would be fascinating because if you look at the like the battle of gibraltar and the, with the french and the spanish state that was another central you know focal point during the revolutionary war they wanted to take gibraltar as well as the gulf coast and these guys relied upon siege warfare tremendously tremendously and so it was um you know the the spanish and the french also never did adopt the um the fact of 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 fighting in open ranks whereas the british in the battle of pensacola were had learned earlier by fighting the continental army they need to fight in open ranks so you hear you had a foe like the french and the, the spanish are taking heavy hits because when they did line up against the british they're taking they're, they're too close together. So it's really interesting. I think it, you really need to look at this, read this book to find out the, the Spanish way of war a little bit. It, mm-hmm. it talks about that. And it, and it doesn't denigrate uh, Galvez at all. It just it just reemphasizes the fact that Galvez was a king's man. He was he was definitely an autocrat. He believed that he wanted to do it his way or the highway. And it's even even exhibited in the uh, at the end of the book. It talks about even Captain Deans, who is the captain of the British ship Mentor in the Battle of Pensacola. He's the last person who's ever released from captivity in the war, the very last, and from the Battle of Pensacola. Why? Because he pissed off Bernardo de Galvez. <laughs> He's a control freak. I tell wow. you, he was. He really wow. was, and, and, and you know he he's, he he did not he, he you know you you crossed Bernardo de Galvez just like Cagigal found found out, and Dean found out you crossed Bernardo de Galvez. Your history, he's a tough guy to deal with, but he he was a, definitely a brave guy. He definitely deserves the attention and the notoriety. I think hmm. that uh, and the fame. Um, the one thing that I think though that I I see people in Spain doing sometimes 
is Spain, people in Spain, um, and I talk about this in my book, um, they, they, there's a tendency sometimes to um, glorify Galvez thinking he's part of the democratic movement um, like George Washington was for, something like that, you know, mm-hmm. for, you know, the freedom and all that kind of good stuff. And that was really not the case. You know, Galvez was man doing a mission for his God and country. That was key to Galvez. Yeah. It wasn't about democracy. It wasn't about the freedom of America and all that kind of good stuff. But I'm grateful for the fact that, that uh, like, there's a town in, in Machara Biaya, Spain, which is outside of Malaga, that every year now, and they've been doing it since probably 2014, I think, um, they've been celebrating July 4th. It's the largest celebration outside of the United States of July 4th in really? the world. Hmm. And oh, they do it because of Bernard de Galvez. They're proud of the fact that their guy from their hometown came and made a, such an impact in American history. And I think that's incredible. And he did do an impact. He might be, you know, you can always get mad at people, yeah. just like people are always getting mad at, you know, historical figures for whatever reason. You can pick, find the wars if you want to find the wars. Right. But you gotta, got to admit the fact the guy did a lot of great things by going figuring out to go through the the, uh, the, the past, Pensacola Pass, alone, I alone, Yo Solo, you know, to lead his troops and get it done. He unfortunately got wounded. Had he not got wounded, would he have prosecuted the battle in a faster way? I think he would have. Mm-hmm. I really do believe he would have. But uh, he wasn't given that opportunity because he was he was fighting for his life for, for a while. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, well, Alan, uh, we got we to gotta head over there yeah. for that July 4th celebration. Oh yeah, you do. Yeah. You definitely do. I mean, it's fantastic. I've been there. Wow. Uh, uh-huh. On two occasions, they have a big pageantry. They give everybody hot dogs and free hot dogs, and, and, and you know, afterwards, they have fireworks that they fire up in the sky, and the fire they fire them from a low the low in the valley, and the Machabi Eye is a picturesque little city uh, in the in the in the uh, 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 anyway in the, in the mountains. And as you look up at these fireworks, they're blowing up right over your eyes, and you feel the embers flowing down and heating your eyes. That's how close they are. You wouldn't be able to do that in the United States, but in Spain, you can get away with it. Mm. Yeah. So I, guess, I wonder if they uh, have anything like that in Galveston. They should do that in Galveston. Yeah, they got the Hotel Galvez, <laughs> you know, that That's place true. is beautiful. Um, yeah, so yeah, if we if we head over there for that July 4th weekend, I will use the words of Bernardo de Galvez to Alan and say, you have no honor if you don't follow me. So. <laughs> That's right. He who has honor will follow. There we go. That would be That's beautiful. A great quote. That's a great quote. Yeah. All right, Mr. Odom, thanks so much again for being on the show. This was a fascinating conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Alan. I know uh, you enjoyed it too. Did you get all your 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 questions answered, or do you, are you going to send like like a like a book long text? Uh, with more questions. No, no, he, he, he answered all the questions and I am definitely going to seek out this book. Um, hell, you know, I have a $25, uh, gift card for Barnes and Noble. So I'm definitely going to use it. I hope it's on Barnes and Noble because Jeff Bezos has already hit the 200 billion mark. So 200 billion, <laughs> 200 Man. billion. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos made $200 billion. So, so you're going to stick uh, it to Bezos. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm still going to purchase it, but I'm, I'm going to try to go through Barnes and Noble if right. I can. Awesome. Well, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it, it, it'll hopefully be available then. I, I know that, uh, um, my goal is to get it out by October the 15th. That's my goal. And, um, you know, I, 
I, uh, it's everything. It's looking good. It's a good. It's going to be a hardback. Um, it's more. It's longer than the first edition. Um, has more information. I think it would be if you're, you know, if you're into the, uh, if you're into Re- American Revolution kind of analyzing battles and whatnot. This is probably the one you definitely want to have on your belt book, bookshelf. You know, awesome. because it's so a unique battle, and they could have gone both ways on several different occasions, but. Uh, the Spanish really you know, persisted in this whole thing. They were willing to make uh, really incredible sacrifices to win this battle. Beautiful. Well, I, I know, I know, I'm definitely going to get it. So, and I will, uh, I will even uh, bring it up in a in a future Tuesday night history. I do a Tuesday night history live, and I will, I will definitely bring up uh, that book once I get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will let you guys know. I'll go and, and let you guys know uh, via the website. Uh, um, you know, when it gets formally launched, so to speak. And so you'll know it's uh, up for good and everything. And uh, if you guys want to talk about any other Pensacola history stuff, um, if I don't know the answer, I can certainly uh, find uh, some guys in town who definitely do. Um, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's different people in town who specialize in different eras, you know. Awesome. Well, yeah, we, we need to get, I need to get down to Pensacola myself. So, yeah, it's, well, uh, this Galveston it's water is not cutting it. Yeah. Calls go retro, and uh, we have some tours. One of our tours we have is the longest siege tour, and it takes people into the uh, battlefield. So you kind of show people exactly what happened, why it happened, where it happened. Yeah. And awesome. if I if I could have stayed in Pensacola longer, I definitely uh, would have liked something like that. So. Well, there you have it. So, Mr. Odom, I hope you enjoyed being on the show. Thanks again. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, we Thank did you very much. You have a great night. All right, you, you too. Th- thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Alan, I know that you did. I think you said that you got pretty much all your uh, questions answered. Um, is there a risk of you going back to Pensacola right now? Uh, no, it's uh, 1145. <laughs> I'm done driving. My butt hurts. Now, I will say this. I will have to go to Pensacola again after talking to this gentleman. Um, I want to I get his book. And I wasn't just saying that. I really, really want to get his book mm-hmm. because he, he taught me so much. You know, I never really sat and thought about Boston not being considered a full-fledged siege. Yeah. Because it, he's, kind, he's right. Um, you know, when, when you have a siege, nothing gets in or out. Mm-hmm. within the people that are trapped. Now, that wasn't really the case in Boston. Yeah, you because know, they were able to sneak stuff in all the time. Yeah, and like he was saying, that there was, you know, seeking a political solution. And and I do know that, you know, when, um, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, there was no move to annihilate the British forces that were in Boston. The uh, They wanted a political solution, the 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 olive branch uh, what, what is that the, the olive, olive branch the olive branch petition was sent mm-hmm. while the Boston siege took place correct yeah so that wasn't the case with Pensacola in Pensacola it was surrender or die yeah and honestly so, I had never even heard of the Battle of Pensacola um, and I guess that was because it really didn't have much to do with like. Americans weren't involved in the fighting. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it until I started doing some research on uh, Bernardo de Galvez mm-hmm. because 
um, my, uh, my good friend, John Poole wrote a, uh, I believe either a master's or a PhD thesis on him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I was familiar with the men, you know, plus us being from Houston, we know about Galveston. So, right. So yeah, Galveston so, and then Hotel Galvez. And now ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, um, you can catch up on who Bernardo de Galvez is and was, uh, yeah, from this episode and from uh, the week before. So, yeah, good stuff, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Really good stuff. What a lucky find for us uh, with Mr. Wesley Odom. So, once again, Mr. Odom, thank you very much for being on the show. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to end on a scripture. Um, and this scripture actually comes from Deuteronomy 31 and 6. It says, and, and, and I chose this scripture because it sort of ties in with Galvez and him rowing out under a hailstorm of bullets uh, to go greet the ship. And just uh, so it's just like, yeah, he, he wasn't afraid of, it seems, very much at all. It says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And like uh, Mr. Odom mentioned, the the primary reason that Galvez was fighting was not for the democratic process. Uh, it was for God and country. So, yeah, God and country, king and country. Good stuff, man. Really enjoyed this conversation. Um, yeah. That brings us to an end, Alan. Where can people find us? They can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and our very own website, www.thesonsofhistory.com. Which has Uh, been? Upgraded. Yeah. Have you looked at it? No. Exactly. I I knew you hadn't freaking looked at it because you hadn't said anything to me. I tell you, hey, uh, look at the new website because I think you'll, you'll like it. Um, and I think you'll actually really like it. And what happens? Nothing. You don't even look at it. You don't even take Uh, the time. What have you been doing? I'm working on the uh, vacation. (laughs) Working vacation. (laughs) I listen, listen, let me tell you. You can't pull up your phone while you're driving for six hours. No, (laughs) I need you to edit. I, Hey, listen, I got to keep my eyes on the road so I can see the cops before they see me. That's true. Yeah, that's a good so, point. That's a good point. Quit being so, quit being so selfish and dangerous and whatnot. So, um, okay. I'll do my best. Yeah. So, but you know, like uh, here, I got here, I got here at ten o'clock, and we interviewed with this gentleman, which was a very, very fortunate, lucky find. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I have to unpack and I have yeah. to be ready for tomorrow. Yeah. Because I got to get up early. I've got to get those receipts at, out of the uh, way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, St. Marcos, I think. St. Mark, the fort. Do you know that Edward Rutledge was housed as a prisoner at St. Mark? I'm going to say uh, no, I didn't. The delegate uh, from South Carolina that yeah. resisted uh, Adams. Yeah. Edward Rutledge was captured, and he. there were three signers of the Declaration of Independence that were held captive as prisoners here in St. Augustine. Hmm. But Edward Rutledge is the one that's uh, the most famous. Yeah. Big so. player, big player in, uh, in yep. the founding. First. Yes, sir. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the guy who convinced South Carolina to uh, say yes. 
to vote for Richard Henry Lee's proposition. There we go. And so on Tuesday night, I'll go ahead and take it from here since you're busy right now concerning yourself with um, unpacking. Did you bring toothpaste? I have it. (laughs) I have it all. Beautiful. So Alan does a show on Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, uh, or as he says, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Central Time. On Facebook Live, uh, he talks about numerous, he gives numerous presentations, uh, well, one at a time, um, on Facebook Live. So you will definitely enjoy it. Uh, Those presentations usually range from about 30 to 45 minutes. Very good. Highly insightful um, and interactive. And also, uh, before the show starts up on a Tuesday night, make your favorite drink and sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes. If you want to, otherwise just rewatch the video once it's done playing. And I do a show every Thursday night on Instagram live. I have a guest typically on the show, uh, same time, 10 PM Eastern time, 9 PM central time. And this, uh, yeah. So this week, I don't know who I have on the show this week. It's Tuesday. I know who I have on the show this week, but this week is not this week that the show is, uh, the episode has come out. So last, I'm last walking blind. That- Last week you had that young lady. Indeed, I did. And this week, um, that is not this week, which will actually be last week. I had uh, Tracy Hunter, who is the documentarian, uh, World War II veteran documentarian. She does fantastic work, Emmy Award winner. Uh, mm-hmm. So good stuff. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as always, we do our best to bring the best to you in history related topics. So. That brings our show to an end. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk with you later.